We might not be the best church in the world, but we are the coolest. Yo. Yo. Welcome to Parkview. We're glad to have you here. We're doing weird, and uh, it must be catching because we need you to move in. we got people still coming in. If you'll slide in, we'll try to get everybody in here. Um, doing this thing called weird. We're talking about being a weird Christian. Next week, we're going to talk about weird relationships, and one of the angles to that is going to be a little bit doing a little bit better job at being weird about racial diversity. We believe that we need to do, do some work on that, and I'm saying that up front because if you are less white than me, I hope that you will be here next weekend and if you have friends that are less white than me I hope that you will encourage them to be here next weekend because it's time for us to be a little bit more weird in that area and that's what we're going to be doing next weekend uh, we're doing a weird view of money this week um, obviously it ain't about the cha-ching it ain't about the bubbling we want to make the world dance I mean that's really a pretty great message isn't it but but being weird about money is hard to do um, women are better at it than men can we just be honest? I heard about this guy who was single all his life. He worked really hard for his dad, who was this really rich, you know, millionaire guy. And uh, he worked really, really hard all his life. And his dad started to get older, and he started to realize that his dad was going was gonna to die eventually and leave him, you know, a bunch of money, and he needed to get a life. So he hadn't been dating really very much. He wasn't really, he's kind of awkward. And he met this woman at this investment thing one night, and she was just stunning. She was beautiful. And he, and he walked up to her, and he's just kind of awkward. He's like, look, I, I know I just look like a normal guy, but m- my dad is rich and he's getting ready to die. <laughs> the woman was like, yeah, you know, okay. Well, she took his business card and three months later she became his stepmom. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> women are just better at this than men are, okay? Uh, let's just face it. The, um, the, the, the reason I'm doing this series for me was... I mean, I've just been really, I've had a lot of reason for introspection this last summer. I mean, I turned 50, I married off a, my daughter, I sent my youngest daughter to Bolivia for a, uh, to work in, 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 a, in a girl's home there, and, my, and we got an empty nest, my youngest daughter went to California uh, just recently and, and left the nest, and if that wasn't enough, our 14-year-old dog died this week. It was kind of like, I know, I know, um, it's kind of like, you know, if there was, you know, could, could there be any more changes going on in my life to make me think about, you know, what's coming up next. It, it could have been more abrupt. If there was male menopause, I would probably have it right now. I'm, I'm in the change of life, okay? And I'm trying to figure out what is that? Well, all of those experiences, I mean, even the dog, you, you animal people, you know what I'm talking about. Even, even going through that, that, that causes you a chance to, to stop and, and to remember what that animal meant to your life and how important that was. And now there's a new chapter on what I want that to be. And, and the, you know, walking your daughter down the aisle and taking your kid off to college and all those things. I mean, there's a, that's a lot of introspection. And as I've been doing introspection, I've been asking myself this question. Who do I want to be in the next half century of my life? And what kind of a church do I want to lead in the next half century of my life? And the word that, that keeps coming back to me is this word weird. Not weird in a, in, a, in a goofy way, but weird in a God way. Because here's what Jesus said in Matthew 7. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And how many people enter through that? A lot. Everybody. That's normal. That's where the crowd is going. Unfortunately, Jesus said that's the road to destruction. Then he goes on and he says, But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And how many find it? Not very many, just a few. Let me ask you something. Would you like to find the road to life or would you like to find the road to destruction? It's a simple question. Would you like to find the road to life or destruction? Okay, good, good. 
So what are you going to have to be to get there? I still can't hear you. You're going to have to be weird. That's how we're going to, if we're going to not be like everybody else, we're going to be weird. That's going to affect everything that we do. I was talking to a friend this week who's going through a divorce, a divorce that he didn't want, and um, it was really, really a very, very difficult situation. And he said, my attorney told me in 20 years of practicing family law, she never saw anyone handle their divorce like I did. And despite me going against many of her recommendations, she said I was a constant example of a good Christian loving father who put the needs of his children ahead of himself. What is that? That's weird. I mean, even in the bad things going on, that's weird. Jesus was weird. All of his teaching was weird. He was so weird that, that they killed him. Okay? Understand that. And Jesus said, follow me. What did he mean by that? He, didn't, he wasn't on Twitter. Okay? <laughs> he, when he said follow me, he meant I want you to be weird like me. I want you to think like weird people think. I want you to act like weird people act. I want you to live like weird people live. I want you to be Abby normal. Okay? That's what we're trying to be. Why? To get into heaven? No. We get into heaven because of Jesus. We get into heaven because of the cross. We don't work our way into heaven. The path to life does not mean that's the path to heaven. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. That's not why we do this. Why do we do this? Because the path to life is, this is the way God designed you to live. This is alignment. This is your wheels in alignment the way that it's supposed to be. This is the kind of thing that God wants you to have so that you can have joy and peace and, and, and patience and gentleness and self-control and all of those wonderful fruits of the Spirit. That's the life He's talking about. That's one reason. And the second reason is because He wants people to see us and look at the weird way we handle a divorce that we didn't want. And look at the weird way we handle money. And look at the weird way we live in this world and go, dang, I need some of that. I, I, my normal's not working. I need some of that weird. So this series is from a guy named Craig Groeschel, uh, preaches in Oklahoma. He wrote this book called Weird. We've got copies of it. We ran out last week. we got copies of it out there. If you want to get it and read along, it's really, really good stuff. Um, Craig, uh, when it came to the week on money... Because he's friends with Dave Ramsey, invited Dave Ramsey to come in and, and, and preach the weekend for him on that. And so what you're going to hear today is a, basically a, a small Dave Ramsey seminar that I'm going to pack into one week. And, and if you don't know who Dave Ramsey is, Dave Ramsey is a guy who went bankrupt as a real estate investor and then started studying the Bible and started realizing that the Bible has a lot to say about our finances and he wasn't doing it right. And he became a financial counselor and he's one of the most, uh, he's one of the most famous financial counselors there is out there now. You see him interviewed on TV all the time. He's got a, a huge company down in Nashville. He, he does a, a seminar that we do here on a regular basis called Financial Peace University where you can, you, and you can sign up for our January class by filling out your uh, form on the bulletin and throwing that in the plate and we'll get you some information. It always sells out. And, and it is a 13-week class to help you figure out how to do your finances. I'll tell you what's weird. What's weird is, what's weird is I have a son-in-law, period. But what's really weird is, is that my son-in-law just got hired by Dave Ramsey's company in Nashville. My son-in-law is going to work for Dave Ramsey. That's really good. No, it's really good. I like it. I mean... He has a, still hasn't got his work visa because he was from England and he's still, you know, we're still dealing with the government. But when he gets started, he's going to have a job with Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey's company is one of the top five companies rated to work for in Nashville, Tennessee. So, so that's good for you to know because what the stuff I'm going to tell you is the way he runs his business and that's why people like to work for him. The other reason that's good is because my son-in-law will never ask to borrow money from me. <laughs> 
because Dave won't let him. So that's really good, okay? What, what Dave Ramsey found as he started studying Scripture and he started looking at the world and he started looking at what normal was is that 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. 70% live paycheck to paycheck. What he found was that we know most, uh, 52% of marriages are going to end in divorce in the United States of America, and a vast majority of those are going to end in the first seven years. And what the statistics tell us, what's even more graphic, is that the people that get divorced in the first seven years, 99% of them list money as the top issue that they had a struggle with in their marriage. What is that? That is normal. That is what is normal. 90% is normal. Jesus called us to follow him and be weird. Jesus talked a lot about money and possessions. As a matter of fact, Jesus talked more about money and possessions than anything else he ever talked about. More than prayer, more than the Bible, more than God, more than love, more than anything else, Jesus talked about money and possessions. Why? Because of one very simple thing. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart is. So the question from Jesus is not what's in your wallet, it's what's in your heart. But Jesus says they're connected. The world has a normal view of money. What is that? That's broke. I'm not broke because of me, I'm broke because of them, because because they screwed up the economy, because I lost my job because of what they did, right? And, and the truth is, I know that there are some of you in that situation right now. Um, we deal with this on a you know, regular basis, dealing with people that are losing their jobs and, and, and losing everything that's going on. But the truth is, if 70% of the people in America are living paycheck to paycheck, it doesn't really matter whether you've got a paycheck or not. If that's the way you're living, that's normal and that's broke. What's weird? Weird is financial peace. Weird is generosity. So if you want to live weird, uh, there's, there are two easy ways to do it. Very, very simple. The first one is strike it rich. Okay? Very, very simple. Invent the next Facebook you know, figure something out where you can, or, or have a rich relative die and leave you a lot of money, and that'll be great. And listen, don't, 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 don't take sarcasm in my voice on that. I hope that happens for you. I pray that that happens for you, because I have a lot of great ideas for your money, okay? Please understand that. We had 2,000 kids get saved this summer in Cuba through our Little League baseball program. Is that cool? 2,000 in Cuba! We could, have, we could have many more if we had more money. We, had, we started a church last weekend in Ventura, California. 600 people came to their very first opening service. Isn't that awesome? We could do that every weekend. Yeah. <laughs> Go make a bunch of money, man. Find a way to strike it rich. i got all kinds of ideas. But if you don't have a sugar daddy, the only other way that I see for this to happen, the only other way is for you to have a weird financial plan. Okay? Strike it rich, have a weird financial plan, that's all you can do. Those are your two choices. Okay? Everybody else is on the normal road, you're going to be on the weird road, you're going to have to have a weird financial plan. And let me just say this before I get into it, okay? that's what I'm going to give you today. Let me just say this, the government is not going to fix your problems. Thank you, thank you. Please, please vote for me in the next election, yes, thank you, thank you. The government is not going to fix your problems. I wish they would get you know, things figured out. I, I'm certainly not happy with the way things are, and neither are you. But they're not going to fix your problems. Your neighbors aren't going to fix your problems. Your boss is not going to fix your problems. Your parents, hopefully, are not going to fix your problem. They shouldn't. Uh, I, I love the kid from college. He wrote Dad this note from college. 
And Dad wrote him back. <laughs> that is funny right there. Listen, n nobody else should be fixing your problems, people, okay? You've got to get your own weird financial plan if you want to make this happen, okay? Five steps. These are from Dave Ramsey. Step number one is the B word, the dreaded B word. You need a budget. A budget. Jesus said, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees him will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and he was not able to finish. Everybody will ridicule him, saying, oh look, there's another Christian who can't pay his bills. Are we going to glorify their Father in heaven if that's what we see? No, of course not. That's, that's normal, but it's not weird. So you write it down. You get a budget. I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? You, you write down what the, your expenses are coming in and figure out how that's going to work. And you do it on purpose. And, and, and use a calculator. Use your fingers if you have to. However you need to do it. I love this new sign from Walmart for those of you who are in the express line. Fifteen is this many. <laughs> is that great? You idiot, get out of the line if you got more than that. It'd make me crazy. I love that. I love Dave Ramsey's question on this one. He said, if you work for yourself, would you fire yourself? Because I don't know about the way it works at your company, but in our company here at Parkview Christian Church, we have a budget. And the reason that we have been in the black in the last two years of bad financial times, even though the church has grown, even though our offerings have been down because people are out of work, the reason that we're in the black is because we have a budget and we have a budget master our cheap financial officer, Wayne. And, and, and nobody gets anything past Wayne. And if you bring in a reimbursement form for something that you want to be reimbursed for and it's not in your budget, he says, good luck with that. Let me know how that works out for you. Okay? Don't you have that in your company? I mean, do you seriously work for a boss that says, hey, don't worry about what you spend. Just go out there and have some fun. You can't run a business that way. You can't run a church that way. It's not going to work. So why are you doing it that way at home? Here's the problem. Most people do their finances in the rearview mirror. They're, they get to the end of the month or close to the end of the month and they're like, oh, we got more months than we got months for, you know? What are they doing? Well, they're looking back. You know what happens when you drive looking in your rearview mirror the whole time? You're going to crash. You need to be able to look forward. How do you do that? You do that with a budget. You do that looking forward on paper, on purpose. And that means if, if you're married, you've got a spouse, you get together, and you once a month you sit down and say, okay, let's look at our budget. Let's see what's going on. You say, oh, Tim, if we did that, we'd have a big fight. Yeah, I know. Fight night. Get it together, man. Make it happen. It is, it is better to have fight night once a month than to have fight night every night, isn't it? It's better than, than 90% of the people in their first seven years getting divorced because they didn't have a budget budget. Yeah, it's weird. Now here's the problem. Usually if there's a couple out there looking at me right now, watching this on the internet, there's, there's a couple out there. Usually one of you is like, yay, yay, we're finally going to get a budget. Pastor Tim, Dave Ramsey, Jesus said we need a budget. Yay. Right? Finally. And the other person in the couple is going, I like Tim. Tim is funny. I want pancakes for lunch, right? 
No clue. No idea. Because you've got a spender and a saver in your household. That's usually the way it works. So what does the budget force you to do? It forces you to get together and decide to have the same blueprint. Can you imagine what happens if you have two builders and one of them is building a ranch and one of them is building a two-story? It's not going to work very well. And if that, seems, if that sounds familiar, you need a budget. That's number one. Number two, act your wage. That's all Dave Ramsey right there. I love that. Act your wage. You have to learn to live on less than you make. You're not Congress, okay? You can't just print more money. Or if you can, please don't tell me about it. I don't want to know, okay? So you have to learn to act your wage. You have to live on less than you make. You make a lot? Great. Learn to live on less than that. You make a little? Great. Learn to live on less than that. It doesn't matter how much you make. You've got to learn to live on less than that. Proverbs says, In the house of the wise, there are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all that he has. I have been a fool. I have devoured all that I had. Haven't you? We've all done it. We've all been a fool. And that word there is not pretty. It's moron. It's idiot. Okay? It's ridiculously dumb for you to use up everything that you have. Even more dumb to go borrow on top of that. Ramsey said, I had a guy come to me and go, how can you, teach, how can you do the stuff that you teach? There's no way you can do this. Because all my friends, they've all got nice cars and they've got boats and they've got sea dues and they've got snowmobiles and they go on nice vacations. And Dave said, I said, yeah, and they'll be divorced and bankrupt in five years. And stressed out, and they're freaked out, and their kids are college loans waiting to happen, and their retirement is a prayer that the government will take care of them. That's normal. Okay? Why do you think you need to look good and keep up with the Joneses? Why do you need to drive that car that you can't afford? Why do you need to, to have those things that you can't afford? In Oklahoma, we call that big hat, no cattle. Okay? That's just dumb, okay? And that's most people. That is normal. What are you going to be? You're going to be weird. Third thing we want to do is we want to save money. In the house of the wiser, stores of choice food and oil. How did that happen? I'm, literally, I went for a run this morning across the, 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 the line, the, the telephone line uh, in front of me. I mean, I stopped and looked up. And there went a squirrel with a big old nut in his mouth. And I thought, oh yeah, it is that time of year, isn't it? Why is it that squirrels get this and we don't? Can you tell me that? Uh, we need to save up for a rainy day. You need an emergency fund for a rainy day. You say, Tim, you need to be more positive. I'm positive there's going to be a rainy day. Okay? And you better figure it out because I've talked to people who lost their job, who had no debt and $20,000 in the bank, and it was a much different conversation than the person who lost their job and had a ton of debt and had no money saved up because they didn't have any idea what they were going to do. There is going to be a rainy day. Now, listen, I want to tell you something. We have a rainy day fund at the church. We're a nonprofit organization. We have to spend everything. We have to give back out everything that comes in. But that does not keep us from having two to three months of operating capital in the bank, which we do. So that if something would to happen, and I don't even know what that would be. Paper reports that Bill Brown is dressed in drag at the woman's girls night out event. I don't know. 
Everybody stops coming and freaks out and thinks we're one of those kind of churches. I don't know what that's going to be. But if something like that happens, we have a fun set back. Okay, we're ready for that. The second thing that, that saving enables you to do is to pay cash for things. It's wonderful to pay cash for things. Do you know what it feels like? I mean, I never have this either, but this is a sermon illustration, so it works. Do you know what it feels like to have Benjamin in your pocket? Doesn't Ben just feel like a member of the family when he's in your pocket? You know, he's like, oh, I love Benjamin. He's my favorite. And isn't it harder to spend Benjamin than it is to pull out your credit card? I mean, MIT actually did a study of this, and they found that when you spend cash, you have a neurological disturbance that goes on in your brain. You literally feel it. It feels bad. Oh, Benjamin, there he went. When you pay with a credit card, you feel absolutely nothing. Okay? You also get better deals when you pay with cash. The third thing that saving will enable you to do is wealth building. Wealth building. Okay? Young people, <clears throat> if you start at age 30 and save $100 a month, by the time you get to age 70 in a decent fund, in a Roth IRA tax-free, by the time you get to 70, you're going to have $1,176,000 to retire on. The only excuse you have for not retiring as a millionaire is because you're blowing your $100 a month on Starbucks or Best Buy or Netflix or whatever it is that you got going on in your life that you could probably do without and retire as a millionaire. But hey, you know what? So it's normal. Normal is retiring on Social Security and hoping it's going to be around. Normal is, well, you can listen to me or you can listen to Michael Scott. It's your choice. I declare bankruptcy! <laughs> Uh, if you don't like the office, you should go to another church, man. Uh, he thought all he had to do was just say it really loud. Uh, I declare bankruptcy. And the, you know, then the other guy comes in and says, you know what, you have more to do than that. But, but that's the way the world does. They're like, you know what, I'm in trouble. I declare bankruptcy. Now it doesn't work that way. Fourth thing you've got to do is get out of debt. Get out of debt. Proverbs 22.7, the borrower is slave to the lender. Slave. Okay, listen, debt, debt is not a salvation issue. God doesn't love you more or less because you're in debt or not in debt. He loves you. He thinks you're awesome. You entertain Him in so many ways, and so do I. God loves you. This is not a salvation thing. But there is not one positive mention of debt in the Bible, ever. And Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What happens when you're in debt? You have another master. When you have more than one master, you can't be a giver, you can't be a saver, you can't emotionally be there for your family because you are, you are strapped. You've got another master there. They're cracking the whip behind you saying, you need to do this. They call it a master card. Have you ever figured that out? Okay? I mean, really, stop and think about it. What would it feel like to only have one master? What would it feel like to not have any other payments? What would it feel like to be debt-free? 
It feels good, and some of you know it does feel good. My wife and I have no other debt except for our mortgage, and we've worked hard to make that happen, and that's really, really important to us. And that may mean driving an older car. That may mean paying, we're paying cash for college because we didn't save up enough, and we weren't prepared for what we're going into right now. And we want to give generously and continue to do that, and so we're going to do that because we don't want to have a whole bunch of masters out there because you can't serve God and money at the same time. Most people's financial problems are because of too much debt. I'm not one of those guys that thinks that all debt is bad. Honestly, if we hadn't taken some debt, you wouldn't be here because we wouldn't have been able to do some of the building that we've done along the way. But going forward, we know we've got a manageable amount and we're going to trim that down and we're not going to take anymore. That's what we're going to do and that's what you ought to be doing too. Wouldn't it be great to say, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. You could do that. They asked Forbes 400 wealthiest people one question, what is the best way to get wealthy. And the number one answer was get out of debt. You believe that? Get out of debt because then you've got money that you can work with and you can invest it and that's the best way for you to do it. Get out of debt. The fifth thing is to give. If you're going to have a weird view of money, Jesus said, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be, dis- not be exhausted. Where north, no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The question should be, not how much can I get, not how much can I save, but how much can I send ahead? Maybe you need to stop asking, how can I build my kingdom? And start asking, how can I build God's kingdom? How can I stop doing the American dream and start doing God's dream? How can I stop with upping my standard of living and start learning to up my standard of giving. Maybe that's the weird view of money. The Bible says it over and over again. You are going to be blessed. You're going to be given to. God is going to take care of you according to your measure of faith. And one of the most important measures of that faith is in our giving. In the Bible, it was a tithe. In the Old Testament, they called it a tithe. 10%. That was the beginning point. That was, not, that was not like the end. That was the beginning point. You should give 10%, bring the first fruits to God, and, and then let Him take care of the other 90%. A tithe. And you're like, well, Tim, Jesus didn't tell us to tithe. Well, actually, Jesus said, don't neglect a tithe. He told him that when He was talking to the Pharisees. But you're right. Jesus never said, you should tithe. You know what? Jesus never said, you should not commit adultery. He said, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I say to you, let's take it to the next step and don't lust. Jesus said, you've heard it said, don't murder. I'm not telling you that. I'm saying, let's take it to the next level and don't hate. Jesus never said, you need to tie. What do you think he wanted us to do with our generosity? Start there or end there? I think it was start there. I I, I think that he was talking to a bunch of people who knew that when, when we give our best back to God, that God is the one who blesses us. So the average Christian in the United States of America gives 2%. What is that? That's average. That's normal. 2%. 98% of their money, which is kind of an oxymoron because it's not your money anyway, 98% goes to the world and 2% goes back to God. That is normal. Weird is bringing the first fruits giving a tithe. It's giving back to God what he asked for in the first place. In in the Old Testament, God tells his people, he says, look, you're not bringing the tithe. You need to bring me the tithe. Please. He says, please bring me the tithe. And they said, no. And then he says, but don't you love me? And they said, well, that doesn't matter. And then he gets mad and he says, you're robbing me. Do you realize that you're robbing me? And they're like, "Uh uh-uh, well, whatever. And so finally, like every good parent, 
God goes, listen, how about a bribe? You know, here's a cookie. He says, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. Just try it. Just try it once. Just try this tie thing and see if I do not bless you more than you could possibly imagine. And Jesus came and he said, I've come to bring life and make it a real pain for you. Is that what he said? No, Jesus said, I've come to bring life and have it to the full. So you're thinking, well, I don't want, I don't want to give money away. It's going to make my life worse. No, it's going to make your life weird. And weird is life. And normal is destruction. It's really usually that simple. Okay? Don't think of something being taken away. Think of returning something back to God and letting Him invest Himself back in you. Think about God opening the floodgates. Think about God taking care of the other 90% instead of you deciding to do it the way that you think you need to do it. It's your choice. And I know you're looking at me, you're thinking, <clears throat> well, you're just a preacher, you need, to, you need to say this, you need to raise money. No, I don't. <clears throat> I'm not raising money today. I, I, I mean, we're, we're not in a giving thing. There's no pledge card for you to fill out. I'm just telling you, there's a weird way to do money, and it involves giving. And I'm going to shut up now because i got a video testimony of somebody who can tell you this better than me. They're not paid professionals. In 2009, we tithed. It was inconsistent. It was sporadic. And Tim did a series on tithing, and we decided we could do this. We are going to commit 10% of anything that comes in our house goes out. Uh, we started tithing. And after we made that commitment, our faithful commitment, three weeks later, Jeremy lost his job. Right away, we thought about, well, do we still tithe? And uh, we were nervous, but we thought we had made a commitment, so we were going to follow through. And that's when we just started tithing whatever came in the house after that. Our friends knew that we had lost our jobs, so everyone kind of came together, started putting gift cards together, meals, groceries. We were getting things that friends would, would do, and then it, it started to get out of control, where it started, it turned into God moments instead of just our friends, and here's the gift card. The provision in our life that God provided for us was above and beyond. It was overwhelming. Money was being dropped off from people we didn't know. Like there was a card in there like just heard from a friend of yours you're in, in tough times and there was $40 in there. Or then someone would stop by from my um, union hall that heard about that I was out that's also probably not working and they would leave $100 in the, in the mailbox. Or, or they heard I had four kids and they were single and, uh, and that was hard. <laughs> people thought it was weird that we were tithing out of our unemployment check. And then I think it changed to God got weird. We, we were doing what we committed to and what we were supposed to do. We said we are consistent. If somebody gave us groceries, then I made sure I made a meal that went to somebody else. I was like, 10%, this is out the door. And so it wasn't money, it just wasn't money. It was time, it was food, it was, Whatever we got, 10% went out. It's not yours. It never started as yours, and it doesn't end as yours. We decided that tithing had nothing to do with money. The, the financial end of it was not the bottom line. It was trust, obedience, consistency, faithfulness. That was the bottom line. It wasn't the monetary end of what was going on. 
it was our obedience to God that was, um, it was blessed and it continues to be. We didn't worry about making a certain amount of money by Tuesday to cover the check and the mortgage is coming. Because when things would come through, then I'd get a call and someone would need work and it would be $250. And I used to hear stories like it all the time. And that $250 was perfect because I had a gas bill due. Or, you know, I mean, one after the other that happened like that. At Christmas time, uh, <laughs> I thought we were going to have uh, a rough Christmas. And uh, Christmas Eve, we were sitting down. Uh, we had just laid out everything that we had put together. And I remember <clears throat> seeing a blur out of the corner of my eye. It was like 11.35. And I was like, someone just ran up on our porch and I ran out the front door. And uh, there was this, I almost fell over this box. It had to be four feet tall with stuff falling all over it. And there was an envelope. <laughs> it said Hadley's. It was fat. It was cash. And... Uh, and everything that they bought, there was receipts, so if they didn't fit the kids, I mean, they had probably the best Christmas of their lives. We started writing in a journal because I didn't want to ever, ever forget what God continued to do in our lives. And we wrote down, and then it, it just, it kind of never ends. It just kept going and going. and. Each people. one is an individual. One day I went out on our back porch and there was a box and I thought, what is this? I've never seen it before. I thought it was like those chocolate covered gold coins. It was, I thought someone had given a gift, you know, like for chocolate. And she was like, oh, I've been waiting to tell you about this because... It's not chocolate. It's not chocolate. <laughs> and I picked it up. I mean, it, it was heavy. I was blown away and, and that paid our car payment. We want this ain't going to stop with us. We're going to give this to somebody else. Obviously, maybe not the same way, but right. I think uh, I think this is a great, I don't think this, great way to be generous to somebody else. I don't think this box else. is meant to stay at our house or sit on our coffee Mantle, table. Yeah. yeah, like oh, remember that? I think this box is meant to go right back out to somebody else. Definitely. Yeah, argue with that. <clears throat> Narrow is the road that leads to life, and few find it. And wide and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and that's what everybody else does. A couple things stood out to me from that. Tithing is not magic. Giving to God is not magic. He, he lost his job. Okay? It's not like it's Kevlar, and you, all of a sudden you're bulletproof. What it is, is it's a, a realization that God is in charge, and that God is going to take care of everything, and no matter what happens, I trust Him. That, that's what it is. It develops our faith. The second thing I notice is that the blessings aren't financial. That's not the important part. The God, spiritual blessings, so little about money and so much about so many other things. You know that. It's not about the money, money, money. He don't need the money, money, money. He wants to make the world dance. That's what it's about. And the third thing I noticed is, you know who I want to be? I want to be box guy, don't you? I want to live in such a way that I am the guy who's leaving the box of coins on, their, on, on the stoop of somebody who needs it. I want to live in such a way that I'm able to be the church, that I'm able to be generous, because I know that everything that God has given me, He has given it to me so that I can be a blessing. And I know that the more I pour out those blessings, 
in generosity, the more he's going to give me. Remember this, Paul said, whoever sows sparingly will, be reap, will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give in his heart what he has decided to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. A hilarious giver. That's why at offering time around here, we cheer and applaud. We're happy about it. Look, if you're like, oh, Benjamin, don't leave me when the offering comes by, then just put him back in your pocket. God doesn't want him. That's not what it's about. God wants a cheerful giver. He wants your heart to be right. And that's a weird way of looking at it. Let me recap. Peace is weird. Weird behaviors are going to create peace. Excellent behaviors are going to create financial peace and generosity. Moronic behaviors will create moronic results. You have to decide life or destruction. It's up to you. Here's what I'm thinking. I'm going to go back to Michael Scott because I think he had the right idea. He had the wrong word. How about I declare weird? How about that one? Would you do that with me? I declare weird. That's the one that works for me. I don't want to declare bankruptcy. I don't want to declare destruction. I want to declare weird. I'm going to live my life weird. I'm going to do it the way God lined me up to do and make it happen that way. I'm going to shoot at the right target. Athens, Greece, uh, when the Olympics were there. You know, there are a lot of sports that we don't really pay a whole lot of attention to. In the winter, it's curling, you know. And in the, in the summer Olympics, the, the rifle competition, nobody's paying any attention to that. That's not on ESPN. Nobody's, nobody's paying any attention. But there was a great story that came out of the Olympics in Athens. Matt Emmons was winning. It's a, it's a three rifle. You go to three different stations and you shoot. And there's a time limit. So you get, you know, you get points for time and points for shooting. And, and he, Matt Emmons was in the uh, Olympic uh, 50 meter three position final and he all he needed to do in his last shot was get close to the bullseye and he had enough points that he was guaranteed the gold medal for the USA and he got to the third position and he aimed his rifle and he fired and he hit the bullseye and no score registered and he thought well sometimes the, you know the thing's not working right the electronics and he's looking around and he's asking here's a picture of him looking there standing looking at it and he's looking around asking going what in the world happened and this is the moment when the olympic officials came back and said dude you shot the wrong target you were in lane 2 and you shot really well at the target in lane 3 and you are disqualified, you get 8th place instead of the gold medal. China won the gold medal instead of the USA in rifle shooting because, and it doesn't happen very often, but somehow he took aim and he shot the wrong target. Hello, hello, the whole world is normal. And the whole world is shooting at the wrong target, my friends. And the only way to line this thing up the only way to get in the right lane and shoot the right thing is the narrow, weird road. We're going to have communion now. It's easy for us to do communion at the end of a service where you talk about debt because we just sang that song, right? We praise you for taking away our debt. We praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. I praise the one who paid my debt, spiritually speaking. Listen, let me tell you something. If you can find somebody to come along and pay off all your financial debt, you should be friends with that person. It's just, just me to you, just a little advice. Okay? If you find somebody that will come along and pay your spiritual debt, you should be friends with that person.
Just a little helpful advice. Let's pray. Lord God, there are people in this room who have a lot of spiritual debt. I do not. I have no spiritual debt because you are my Savior and you paid for it. And uh, people in this room who have you, who accepted, the, endorsed the check that you wrote at some point in our life, we have all the payment for our debt that we will ever need, even the debt that we haven't yet incurred spiritually, all the sins that we have yet to commit that we wish we weren't going to, but we know we're going to be normal along the way and we're going to do them. You've already paid for them. We already have an account set aside for that. And there are some people in this room that they're not feeling that right now, so would you help them to endorse the check that you wrote to each and every person on this planet right now? Help them just to say, Jesus, I'm signing my name on the back of this check. I'm endorsing this. I accept your gift. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to be yours and you're going to live inside of me and I'm going to follow you. And I don't mean on Twitter. I'm going to follow you and I'm going to be weird. That's all we have to do, Lord, to be debt free. Man, if we could do that with our finances, if all we had to do was sign the check, we'd do it in a heartbeat. I don't know why there would possibly be a person within the sound of my voice that doesn't want to do that spiritually. Help us all as we spend just a moment realizing what you did for us on that cross. And as those of us who've cashed the check, maybe some brand new ones in this room, we just take a moment and say thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.